Hey there, I'm Asha Juno, and you're listening to This Hope Podcast. You being here is no small thing, and my hope is to fill your ears and your heart with words that invite us to lean in, stretch out our arms, and take hold of what will satisfy our souls. Wherever you are, wonder, connection, and hope are within reach. Come and see. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Hope Podcast. I am your host, Asha Juno, and I cannot tell you how happy I am that you have clicked play on this particular podcast today. You probably know that it is the end of August, but you may or may not know that today, if you're listening to this on the day that it's been released, is the fifth Tuesday in August. I typically release new episodes on the first, third, and fifth Tuesdays, and because there's not always a fifth Tuesday in a month, I thought it would be fun to take the fifth Tuesday and do something a little different. So today, we are having a conversation with my dear friend, Laura Diaz Freeland. This conversation was such a gift to me, and I know it will be such a gift to you. I want to go ahead and let you know that this conversation is very real, very raw, at times intense, at times funny, at times sweet, at times soft, at times very hard. This conversation is a lot like Laura's book that is coming out in November called Not What I Had in Mind, A Motherhood Origin Story. Her book is available for pre-order right now, so go grab a copy wherever you buy your books and you will be able to hold this book baby of Laura's in November. Her book is like a really great conversation with her, which you are going to get a little taste of today. Laura is a fierce advocate. She's an incredible mother. She's a faithful friend, a loving and loyal daughter and wife and sister and so many things. Laura excels in all of her roles, not because she is perfect, but because she is real. Laura has this authenticity and intentionality about her that is truly spectacular. The thing about Laura is she inspires me in so many ways and she does it without making me feel bad about myself or where I'm at. Because you know those people that you're a little bit inspired by But honestly, it's probably more of a comparison game and you just end up feeling bad about yourself, your life, your home, your kids, your family, your whatever. Yeah, Laura is not one of those people. She inspires because she is just real and she just goes for the thing. Whatever the thing is that she's after, she just goes for it, knowing that perfection is not even a real goal. So why be held back by it? Laura inspires me to just do the thing right along with her, even if our things aren't the same things, just just to go for it and just to do it. Laura is 
intense in the best way. She is smart. She is funny. She's so quick. She's a gifted writer. The way Laura strings together sentences and tells stories is so captivating and compelling. And you are going to get a little glimpse of it in this conversation today. We talk about writing, storytelling, but mostly we talk about faith, imperfect faith and doubt. We talk about coming to the end of ourselves and realizing that we may not ever know why something happened or what God was doing. This conversation gets really real and I know that the realness will be a gift to you and I know that this conversation is going to meet you wherever you are. I do want to give a content warning for this conversation because we do talk about some really hard subjects. We talk about extreme preterm birth and we talk about infant loss as well. And I do also want to ask for your grace as you listen to this conversation because there are moments when you'll hear children in the background and dogs walking around. And it's because this is real life and Laura invites you into her real life, into her realness. And that is what makes her so inspiring. I am so excited for you to listen to this conversation with my dear friend, Laura Diaz Freeland, author of Not What I Had in Mind, A Motherhood Origin Story. Hello. Thanks so much for having me, Asha. I'm super excited to get to do this with you. So I guess we should start by giving a little intro of who you are, how we know each other. So Laura and I, we were on staff at the same church together in Orlando. And we have one of those friendships where I think we got closer in friendship as our proximity got farther away. Like we moved here to Pensacola and then Laura and I kind of connected even more than we did when we were actually living in Orlando because we were just busy doing different jobs and we would see each other at staff meetings and things like that. But we were really connected, one, through our journey to motherhood for both of us um, and our love for words. So I'll let you tell it from your from your side of the story. No, I think that that was like the most perfect summary of it. One of the most interesting things, though, I think about our friendship that actually directly relates to my book before I even had the idea of writing a book is that the the premise of the book, right, is the extreme prematurity of my daughters and just how that shaped my view of motherhood and God. But the very beginnings of what I would call our friendship was during that time when the twins were born and I didn't know if they were going to live or if they were going to die. And so many people were very freaked out by that because people get uncomfortable by super tragic situations. And you just hardly knowing me at all walked right into that situation. Like you, you walked literally into the hospital to sit with me, to bring me gifts. And it was um, I don't even know if we've talked about this a lot outside of this podcast, but it was very profound for me because it was a season where people who had been close to me for a long time were scared to be near me. And you were someone I barely knew who walked right into it. 
that's I'm tearing up here in my laundry room because yeah, I I am not good at small talk. I always say that I feel like I'm so awkward at small talk because I'm like, I don't really care about the small things. Like I just want to know how your heart is, but I'm good at like messy, honest conversations and messy, honest situations. Cause I'm like, yes, I can get in there. We can, you know, when you're going through something like that, you, there's no time or room for small talk. Like you just, you get to the heart of it, you get to the heart of each other. And, and so that's where I feel like God has, you know, gifted me in that way. And it was, it was such an honor to, and a, I can't even say joy at the beginning because it was grueling to see what you were going through, but it was an honor to like just walk with you for even a little bit and pray and just be one of the thousands and thousands of people praying millions of prayers for your girls. Um, and so, yeah, it was, that was a really intense and special in its own way time. Hang on one second, Asha. We're going to have to edit this out because my kids are <laughs> screaming in the background. I actually, so kind of I actually love it. I actually love it. So speaking of this intense time in your life, um, life is intense for you in a different way now in the most joyous way because you talked about, you know, your your journey to the start of motherhood. Um, and yet we just heard those precious voices um, in the background. So tell us a little bit about where you are now versus where you were three and a half years ago. It's um I joke a lot because there was such a long period in my life where I was so desperate for my life to be boring. Like for such a long time, we didn't know if the twins were going to live or die. And then for a long time after they came home, we had 20 doctor's appointments every week. And we were dealing with what I call lovingly the diarrhea diaries which we can get into more later but uh and all i wanted was for life to be boring and i think it really goes to show how little i understood about motherhood at that time <laughs> because there is no such thing as boring especially when you have twin three-year-olds but i would say it is um just motherhood right like it, it and it's a version of motherhood that i think a lot of people would look at from the outside not knowing where we came from and think yes that is traditional that is typical i'm a stay at home mostly stay at home mom um and we go to music class and we pick blueberries when they're in season and we play at the water table and we make enormous messes and we uh, you know, repeat mom's profanities back to her. <laughs> and <laughs> it is so typical, but I take a step back often and am just like overwhelmed with emotion at this very typical life because we really didn't know that we would ever get to live it. Hmm. So that is what life is like full of gratitude full of toddlers and just beautifully full i love that and i love the title of your book laura's book coming out in november is called not what i had in mind a motherhood origin story and i love it so much because we all have it right a motherhood origin story every mother 
has an origin story as to how she became a mother, journey to motherhood and through motherhood. And tell me more about how you came to that title, what that means to you, what it means for your story and for every mother's story. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that held me back from writing this book in the beginning was I didn't want it to be a book about prematurity because the number of people I could reach was is so limited, right? Only 10% of babies are born prematurely. And of that, it's a way smaller percentage that are born in that peri-viable uh, gestation, which is 22, 23 weeks. And, it, and that's just people who have babies who are born that early uh, don't want to read about babies who are born that early, right? You don't, you don't typically want to relive your trauma, at least not for a very long time. And so as I was thinking, what is my angle to tell this story? Because there's more to tell than just the prematurity. And we can get into really the reason I wrote this story later if we want, but, but I landed on the, the core of the book being that for so long, I thought my story, the twins early life made me different from most mothers. When I was in it, I was dealing with anxiety and depression, and I was really struggling to, to figure out what I believed about God's goodness in a place that felt so bad. Um, and so I felt very separated from other people I knew who were moms. But as the fog started to clear and things started to feel a little more typical, a little more like I was a real mom with <laughs> real kids, I realized that the story actually connects me with most moms, that maybe not every mom's story is as harrowing, but the depths of our emotion are relative to our experiences. And we we all have that depth of emotion. The worst thing that's ever happened to us as mothers is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. And, and we don't have to compare the story to be able to relate to each other's feelings. And 100% of the time, those feelings are not what we had in mind when we envisioned motherhood. And so that's how I landed on the title. And then as you well know, Asha, I am obsessed with etymology. Um, it's something my parents instilled in me from a super young age so that I could be like set up for SAT words and all that. But what it ended up helping me do in a medical setting after my daughters were born is really understand what was going on with them clinically, even though I had no clinical experience. I broke everything down into its etymology in that season. And so the book definitely reflects that. And that's where the subtitle, A Motherhood Origin Story, comes from. It's just a nod to my love of words and uh, etymology. And in general, everyone's origin story is is interesting to me. So that's where all of that came from. Mm, I love that. Yes. The words and the study of words and where they came from. And oh, it just, it's so good. And I love hearing about your background and your parents, like making this a priority. And it, it's just, it seems like such a small thing, but it's one of those things that God does in all of our stories. Like everything prepares us for the next thing and things that 
maybe were from decades ago. We have no idea how these were going to come back around. Like God is so big and he's so small too. You know, God can fit in the tiniest places. Like there is nowhere that God is not. And every detail, every detail, he will use it in our stories. And so I just, I love that. I love that. So as I continue to grow in faith and just grow as a person and a mom, just realizing that the only kind of faith available to us is imperfect faith, right? Like imperfect faith is is as good as it's going to get for us very imperfect beings. And so thinking through your story, tell us how this has shaped your imperfect faith. That's a, a big question. And so I allude to my evolving faith throughout my book. One of the things just to give a little context is that my book, Not What I Had in Mind, A Motherhood Origin Story, is a memoir. And it is not a faith-based memoir, even though I talk about my faith. Um it doesn't have it doesn't necessarily have a message about like what i took away from or how my relationship with god evolved at least not in any great detail because i had other goals with the book uh, i had a different message that felt important for me to get out but this particular aspect of my story uh is is a huge part of it even though it didn't it didn't make the book because I think when I walked in to the hospital, I was 22 weeks and four days pregnant, which is, as you know, it's just past the halfway point of a pregnancy. And I knew something bad was going to happen, right? I knew I was in labor. I knew something bad was going to happen. And even in that moment, all I could think about was how am I going to believe that God is still good when I'm going to lose my daughters? Because that's what I thought was going to happen. I, I looked at my mom and I told her the babies are going to be born and they're going to die. And I, in my head, was turning things over and over because it had taken me such a long time to come back to faith. So I spent basically all of my 20s having walked away from my faith and walked away from the church and after a divorce and just a really rough season of life I was just God really pulled on my heart like come back find community and find me and and we will be like we will make this work right and so I, I found my way back to God and and I ended up on staff at a church <laughs> and I thought I thought everything was going to be good from there on out right like I I, I thought everything was going to be good I had found my community I had found my husband and I felt like the Lord had really rewarded me for my faithfulness and then I just was like punched in the gut hmm. when my daughters came out half baked and mm. and this this story evolved in a way that that 
I wanted so much to have faith. Like I was trying so hard and I was asking everyone to pray and I was telling other people like that I knew God could do impossible things, but I don't know that I really believed it or maybe not that. Let me take that back. I knew God could do impossible things, but I didn't believe God was going to do impossible things for me. Mm. And the more our time in the NICU got, or the more ways our time in the NICU got complicated, the more I doubted it because it felt like things would get better and then worse and then better and then worse. And then I write about this in the book, but I had this experience where my baby B, Margot, had a roommate after so Vivian was discharged before Margot many three months before Margot and Margot got a new roommate and that roommate was a full-term baby girl she was born perfectly fine and then five hours or so after she was born she got sick and she was rushed up to the NICU and I was holding Margot when they brought her up and got her connected to all of this tubing and and she she bled out and she died right there like while I was holding my daughter and I it was such a profound moment for me because I could maybe understand how my daughters who were born so early could die. But I was like so angry at God for, I was so angry at God for, for taking this other mom who I didn't even know, right. All the way through her pregnancy and letting her think that she carried and birthed a healthy baby girl and then taking that baby girl away from her. And I just couldn't make it make sense. Hmm. And that day well it, like in in that that not just that day but that week um we also had a what do we call it a set huge setback that's what i'll call it with margot so margot had been fine and then we had this huge setback with margot also excuse me i said that week but i actually don't recall the exact timeline and my husband said to me that god had a plan for margot and I was so, I mean, Asha, I was pissed at him for saying that. I, I like couldn't believe that he would tell me that when nothing made sense, right? I, I, I described the scene in the book where I like basically snap at him and tell him like, I watch a full term baby girl die in that bed right there. So like, don't tell me that God is, is, has a plan or that God has it under control because nothing is under control and you don't know anything about God. Right. And that's where I landed. I mean, it sounds almost sacrilegious, right? Like as somebody who was raised Southern Baptist and, and to really, um, just button, have my faith look very buttoned up is, is the, me is the message that I feel like I got in childhood for me to say like what I landed on is like, we, maybe think we know a lot more about God than we actually know. So rather than, I think I could have walked away from my faith in that season of my life and said, I don't believe God is good because it did not feel like it. But I, 
instead decided that I was going to tell myself God was still good. I just didn't always understand because he is God and I am not. And that's really, um, that's where I landed in all of this. And I now am living this typical motherhood as we discussed. And, and my girls are just precious and hilarious and amazing. And their little bodies have healed. And there are times that I, I say like, God is so good and he, his goodness is in them. But I often come back to this place of like, I only think I know why we are where we are. Right. I only think I know, um, why God let us go through this. Like I tell myself it's because I was able to really have a perspective on motherhood that I wouldn't have had if we hadn't suffered so much that I appreciate my daughters so much more than I ever could have before this happened. Um, but in the end, I think I always come back to like, I don't actually know. Like I think it's this, but let's not like, let me not pretend that I know how God works. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, my mind, I feel like is going in so many different directions, things that I want to focus on and pull out that you said, because that was just so good. And thank you for your honesty. And I just feel like conversations like this are so important because there are moments in our lives. And if, you know, if you haven't had one yet, there is one coming that will make you question everything you thought you knew about God. And I love that God is big enough to handle all of it, all, all of our doubts and that it's actually a really sweet thing to get to a place where we're like, yeah, I don't understand anything about God, you know? And, and then I come back to like, why would I devote my life to a God that I could understand, you know? And so it's so freeing to, to realize that we don't know anything about God and to realize that, you know, he is so much bigger and, and that is, I think, just the essence of this imperfect faith of being able to admit every doubt, every question. And and honestly, I feel like the imperfect faith shows more faith in God, you know, that it can be like, I don't see that you are good. I don't know what you are doing. And yet you keep showing up, you know, it's so, oh, it's just thank you for sharing all of that because I think that is something that everyone can relate to, whether we speak those words out loud or we just think them and try to shove them down. Um, yeah, I guess what would you say to someone who maybe is going through or, you know, is about to go through or has gone through whatever, a situation like this that could really make them just completely put down their faith um, but yet maybe, like you said, they feel that pull of like, okay, God, I know that you are real. Like, what would you say to someone? How do you keep going through that? How do you keep fighting for that imperfect faith? I think the core of my, uh, conflict with faith in that season of my life was often when we 
grow up in a traditional church environment and church culture we're really young and there's so little we understand about the world and it's easy to inadvertently get the message that you have to have perfect faith um and i think perfect faith is the villain right the perfect faith faith is the is the antagonist to just any faith right um and at least for me i felt like i either had to have perfect faith or no faith at all for a long time and fortunately before the twins were born i'd already really struggled to work that out and i had already become okay with the imperfect faith but that is what i would tell people who are entering into a season where what they believe about god is really being challenged is be okay with imperfect faith and be okay with not fighting it if you can just decide i want to have belief that there is a god i want to believe that Jesus made it all about grace and everything else is just everything else. I don't have to have it figured out. God doesn't expect me to know. God doesn't expect me to understand. So I think that's the first piece. And then one thing that that as a human, I really struggle with, but it's like the cornerstone of my faith and my relationship with God is accepting that like, it's not about me. And that's really hard to in a society that is so driven by our desire to be happy, um, to, to say all of these things that happened, like they're not about me. It's about God and it's about God's glory. And it doesn't have to make sense to me. And I can be pissed about it. I can be disappointed. I can stop going to church for a while. But um, yeah, it's, it's almost like a little bit sad for me because it's not like when you go through something like this as you well know like when you are challenged when your faith is challenged and when when you can both see god's goodness but also wonder like what the heck god it is not like this romantic on fire season that like we often have when we first come to know the lord or or even like when we come back after a difficult season, like it's not. And so it's sad when I say it's sad, it's because like, of course, like I want to be like on wildfire for God, but the reality is like, that's not always going to be the case. And he knows it and we know it. And if we can keep our wits about us and, and come back to, I believe in God. I believe Jesus made it all about grace and this relationship is going to be hard just like any other relationship because we are imperfect and we are living with 
the consequences of that imperfection. It's like the only way to navigate this because if you're putting the expectation on yourself to maintain the utmost faith in a season where you cannot even maintain your composure or, or remain standing, it's it's not fair to yourself and it's not an expectation that God has put on you. Right. Mm, such a good way to put it. Yes. So, so encouraging. Um, and hard, like faith is so hard. Like you said, it's a relationship just like with anyone else, you know, but thankfully it's different in that it's with the perfect one. It's not an imperfect relationship with another imperfect person. It's an imperfect relationship with the perfect God. Sometimes I feel like it's easier to have an imperfect relationship with an imperfect person because at least like you can point out their flaws and and it can make you feel like it's not all your fault. The the difficult thing about being in relationship with a perfect God is it is all your fault. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't mean there's not grace, but it really like you have to, you have to point the finger at yourself and you have to examine your own heart. Not you know, place blame elsewhere. (laughs) This is true. And, but like on the flip side of the grace part is like all the expectation to be perfect is on God. Like, but, but we unfortunately like do place it on ourselves. But I feel like we can get to the place, like you were saying, when you have no choice, but to like accept your imperfection, like you said, you, you can't even think, walk, stand, like so that illusion of perfection is like stripped away in these kind of situations. You know, you're like, I, I get it. Like I am, I am not perfect. I'm not even going to try and pretend. And those are the times when we can accurately place that expectation of perfection on the only one who can fulfill it. And I feel like that is where like the joy comes in and the hope comes in and where true joy, hope, peace can like flood these situations. Um we kind of get to the end of ourselves and we're like, oh yeah, like it's a really good thing that you are perfect, God. Like that is just, you know, that is such a gift. Um, oh, yeah, I so feel hard. that. First, I mean, at on a very deep level because it's a very, at least you know you can land there, right? Like you know that you may not understand it all, or I should probably speak for myself, right? I didn't understand why anything was happening. But one thing I can say is I knew God was perfect and I knew God understood why it was happening. And I also will say it's probably only by his grace that I was able to just know that he was still God even and, like that he was still God and that he knew that I was going to be in this dark, crappy place and mm. that he was not going to hold it against me. You had alluded earlier to the fact that this was not just specifically about your faith, that you had more purposes for writing this book. And so I want you to go into that and tell me what you were thinking as you started to sit down and really write out this story. Yes. So one of the biggest challenges I had when I was writing the book is that I really felt like I needed to write this book about great faith. And it actually kept me from writing anything at all until I just gave, actually, it wasn't even me. I think you gave me permission to not make it a faith-based book. And um, 
I had this one really important purpose. So as you well know, and anyone who has followed our story knows, uh, Vivian and Margot were born on the cusp of viability. And what that means is there is a lot of dispute about whether or not babies born at 22 weeks can survive and whether or not it is ethical to intervene medically. And it just so happened that I was slated to deliver them at Winnie Palmer Hospital for women and babies in Orlando. And it just so happens that Winnie Palmer is the number one NICU in Florida and possibly one of the very best NICUs for peri-viable babies in the Southeast. So a lot of hospitals, like over 50% of hospitals in the U.S., would have either a told me there was nothing they could do and that I would just have to hold my daughters until they died or b they would intervene at my insistence but they don't actually have the tools or the training to ensure or or to help improve outcomes meaning like survival right so i didn't know any of this when the twins were born and the Lord had his hand on our lives because they just happened to be born there and they happened to be cared for by a group of physicians who have dedicated their life's work to saving babies born this early. But in that, I realized how many mothers go through this and never get the chance to give their baby a chance to live. And it became very important for me to be able to tell a story that had a universal themes that any mom could relate to, to be able to tell a story that is what I call a compulsive read. Like you want to know what happens. Mm. Uh, but in that, right, in writing a good book that people want to read, I wanted to be able to give people this information about peri-viable peri babies and their ability to advocate because you, no one's going to pick up a book about peri-viable babies. No one's like, oh, that might happen to me. Like no one thinks this is going to happen to them. And if they don't, if they are not armed with the information, they will not be able to advocate for themselves. They will show up at the wrong hospital. And there are like, that sounds so bold, but there are wrong places to have a baby at 22 and 23 weeks gestation. And if you don't know, which most people don't, then you don't get to give your baby a chance if that's what you want for them. And so that was like my main purpose was to write a book that people really wanted them to, that, that people really wanted to read, that people read compulsively, that people told other people about that would educate them on this little fact, like inadvertently. Hmm. Well, you have done just that. I have gotten to read a an advanced reader copy, I guess we will call it. Um, and your book does all that and more. It is so beautifully written, so raw, so real. Um, I really cannot recommend it enough for every mother um, because in, in, in writing my own book, I felt the same truth that all the details of our stories are different, but 
we can see our own stories in other people's stories. And like you said, I mean, motherhood connects us on a deeper level. Even if the the surface and the middle levels are all super, super different, if they look different, feel different, happen differently, the deepest levels of motherhood, like we are all connected. It's like a funnel. Like we all are down there in the deepest levels, just right there with each other in all the same thick of it. It even speaks to the evolution of our friendship, right? JP came into your family right after the twins were born. So we had almost no relationship. Then you walked into my grief and then your son came into this world and you brought him home and our relationship has grown through like despite distance through both of us sharing what our experience of motherhood has been not just with each other but with the world as writers so it's just a very cool parallel the book comes out tell us when when it's coming out november 7th is the publication date it is available for pre-order already at barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and bookshop.org. I know that you just got the actual physical copy and it means it's so close to being in the world and other people holding this book baby in their hands. How are you feeling just within this process about this really being in the world? It's exciting and terrifying, I think. I mean, the thing about, as you well know, writing anything that is about your actual life, it's very vulnerable. And well, it's one thing for people not to like a fiction story. Like it's another thing for people not to like your life and how you portrayed it. So I do have like a little bit of nerves about that. But in the end, like I know this is my very best work, Asha. Like I could not have done this better. I have never written anything I'm more proud of and it will be really really tough to beat so i'm confident and ready and eager to put it out into the world and i am hopeful that god is going to use it to do exactly what he needs it to do so so glad that we got to have this conversation today and just so glad for the way that god weaved our stories together um I am so grateful for this conversation. It's hard to end it, but I know that we will have many more and I'm excited to continue the conversation when the book comes out. I know that this is going to spark so many important conversations. Thank you so much for having me, Asha. It's always lovely to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time and your ears today. I cannot recommend this book enough. It is everything that Laura hoped it would be and so much more. It is a compelling story that will keep you thinking long after you have put it down. It's part memoir, part medical drama, part story of a fierce mama bear advocating for her babies, part awareness, part humor, and part harrowing tale. The details of your story might be very different, But I know that there is so much goodness to be found in the words that Laura has written. So much beauty for anyone who picks up this book. 
So that's the first thing. Pre-order your copy of Not What I Had in Mind, A Motherhood Origin Story by Laura Diaz Freeland, and then go follow her and support her in all the ways. She is on Instagram at oh hi Laura here. She is on the interwebs at laurahere.com. You can sign up there for her free sometimes weekly newsletter called This Is Not Advice. You can also sign up for her paid newsletter called The Diarrhea Diaries, which you can read more about that season of her life in her book. Oh, hi, Laura here on Instagram. Follow her, find her, connect with her. I know you will be so inspired by doing so. I want to end by reading you my favorite line from Laura's book. There are so many beautiful sentences in this book, but this one wins for me. Laura writes, Motherhood is rooted in the need to raise humans who can navigate a wounded and wounding world and still delight in its beauty. Amen, right? That is what we're after. Delighting in the beauty and goodness of God even when we are wounded or wounding. Even when we have so many doubts that we want to walk away. It's finding the beauty, delighting in the beauty, being humans who wade through the mess to find it and hold on to it and offer it to others. Today's the day, friend. This Hope Podcast is a series on the Wellspring Pensacola Podcast. You can expect new episodes right here on the first, third, and fifth Tuesdays of every month. If you'd like to connect in between, you can find me on Instagram at Asha June O. That's A S H A J U N E O H or at Asha June O.com. Until next time, sending you hugs and hope.